This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey, yo, what's goody? This is Tommy Laren, America's <laughs> washed white woman. And since I can't be on a blaze, I'm here on Let Your Voice Be Heard to tell you all lives matter. <laughs> Let me also tell you I'm pro-life, but anti-black. I don't like Colin Kaepernick, but I do like getting... Wait, I can't say that on air, can I? No, you can't. I know where the you FCC. were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is Tommy Laren, America's favorite white girl. I'm fly. I get money. The blades call me back. What's goody? Start the show. Okay. Welcome. Thank you, Tommy, for that weird. Tommy, unique. mother loving Laren, beloved. Tommy Laren. Okay, whatever. Do you shop at Bloomingdale's? No, you don't. That's an old Navy shirt. <laughs> It sure is. Okay, guys, welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is not the Tommy Laren Show. So if you tuned into that, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We are actually on the opposite side of her political, of the political spectrum Except when it comes to her. Except on the pro-choice issue. We're, right, we're, and apparently, no, that's a great point, Alyssa. We all agree when it comes to pro-choice. But apparently, Tommy can be anti-black, but pro-choice, and now she, she's getting, she got suspended. She chooses for the right to hate black people. Right, so... I wonder if she's for black babies. I mean, if she's pro-choice but anti-black. Yeah, I can't say that on air either. So anyways, guys, my name is Stanley Fritz, and you can find me. Yeah, I stole your shine. Stanley, can I I introduce the show first? You're just trying to, like, introduce your name? This is all about me. Tommy Lawrence, I'm the star. All right, so... Anyway, guys, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem, not the voice of Tommy Lauren or Stanley Fritz, apparently. Um, Yeah, so this is the show where we talk about politics, foreign policy, social issues, justice, pop culture. And, of course, we do that from a millennial perspective, and we always want you to let your voice be heard. So my name is Selena Hill, and on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Miss Selena Hill with an MS. Is it, is it my turn? I, I think so. Or am I taking up too much space? Oh, <laughs> no, you're not taking up too much space, Alyssa. Subs. Fire the subs. <laughs> Got it. I had to. Uh, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am your political and legal correspondent. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I where we are broadcasting live on Facebook Live. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, also with an I. Or you can always leave a comment on Politically Preposterous, which is facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous or at Poll Preposterous on Twitter. And who are you? I am the handsomest man in the mother-loving land. I am the man that now that he has a girlfriend who loves him and convinced him to take care of his hair, has now started putting coconut oil into his beard and on top of this Need necessarily haircut needing patch on my head. I am the man that when I put on my shirt that says Latinos run, everyone looks on my shirt because my shirt is lit. I am Stanley Fritz. You can find me on the Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on the Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle. You can find me on the Instagram hand and the hand hands on the land bands at Stan Fritz. And if you're bored and you want to know what's really good in these streets, you can find my writing nowhere because I'm not published. So anyways, Stanley is a published author by the way, guys. Uh, on Black Enterprise, Huffington Post, and our website, lyvbh.com. But I want to say, Stanley, you know what? You're officially in the beard game because, I mean, the beard gang, because you're actually keeping up with your beard. And I had yeah. smelled cocoa butter coconut once. Oil. Coconut oil. when you, like, on Friday when I saw you. And I was like, is that Stanley? Yeah, so <laughs> Marilyn has, like, so Marilyn used to hate it when I grew up my beard. 
But her, my recently she's loved it. But she goes, babe, your hair is so nice. Why don't you put some product into it? I'm like, yeah, I put water in it. <laughs> and she goes, no, like use some real products. So I was like, fruits and berries. And she goes, no, some real stuff. So now I put um, coconut oil in my beard. And I don't mind because it smells nice. It does smell nice. And then I put it in my beard. She goes, put it in your hair too. Because she <laughs> thinks I have like, like coolie hair, whatever that means. So like now I got to put, I put coconut oil in my hair now. I like coconut oil. It smells good. That's it right. smells like coconuts. Mm, I wonder why. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Such a logical thing right there. Speaking of um, logic, um, of course, we'll be talking about Donald Trump, who does not make any logical sense. Um, right. So we have a great show lined up. We're going to start off the show speaking about Russia Gate. This may actually be the thing that gets Donald Trump out of office sooner than 2020. So we're going to talk about why and how this, how Russiagate is also impacting our democracy, which is a bad thing. But, you know, most of us are all for pushing him out. Uh, then in the second half of the show, we will be talking about the Close Rikers Island campaign. And we have a very special guest who will be joining us in studio. He's actually one of our biggest fans, Darren Mack. He tweets us all the time, even though he doesn't call in all the time. He definitely supports our show a lot. And he is one of the leading uh, activists on this Close Rikers campaign. Um, and we'll also be asking the question of, you know, if we're talking about closing Rikers Island, should we be also abolishing jails throughout the country? So that's another uh, another issue that we will definitely explore second half of the show. And then last but not least, we're ending with the Trump care debacle. Alyssa, please brief us on what you will be telling us about Trump care. Yeah, so uh, originally I was going to be telling you about how, you know, your health insurance was going to go from being pretty decent to being awful under this new Trump care plan. But then we killed Trump care. At least now um, it is dead for the foreseeable future. Even Paul Ryan came out and said that Obamacare is the law of the land and it is going to remain that way, at mm. least for now. And then he got um, into his car. <laughs> and, and he did not listen to Papa Roach. I don't care what you said. some <laughs> news reports to the contrary. Cut um, my life into pieces. <laughs> Nonetheless, I will tell you exactly what happened, um, why it failed, and what's going to happen next. Because at the end of the day, this uh, battle may have been won, but this was just the beginning of the the war, essentially. This is the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be a lot more coming, both on the healthcare front and on other fronts. And we're going to have to use some of the same tactics and strategies that we used to defeat Trump Care this time around to, to be, defeat some of the other measures that are going to be coming our way. Yep, Alyssa's right. The battle was won, but not the war. Stay tuned, guys. We're going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're talking about the scandal that might take Trump down right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is the handsomest man on the land, Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and of course, Facebook Live too. What's crack lacking Facebook Live? Bodega Boys. <laughs> Did you just? Okay. Because Mel from Bodega Boys, he's always like, yo, shout out to Cardinal Hayes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I, I like that sound. I, didn't Nicki Minaj make that ad lib? And when no, I no, Nicki, Nick, we don't talk about losers here. Oh, not nice. All right, guys. So, as Stanley said, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. 
And at first, I was wondering and scolding Stanley for playing No Scrubs. Yes, I'm a TLC fan, but I just didn't see the relevancy of that song. And, but no, But then... I realized, right, we're talking about we don't want to scrub, and maybe that is some way connected to Russiagate, and I'll try to explain why. Mm. So, today, we'll be talking about President Donald Trump's ties to Russia, how they could possibly put an end to the Trump presidency, and the impact in uh, Russiagate will have on our democracy. So, we don't want to scrub, obviously, Donald Trump fits into that category, and we don't want him as well. So, last week. During an open congressional hearing, FBI Director James Comey confirmed that the FBI has been looking into Russia's alleged interference into the 2016 election since July. Now, the FBI—excuse me—the FBI is also investigating possible links between Moscow and members of Trump's campaign team. And during this hearing. FYI, Comey also announced that the FBI has no information, that's a quote, no information that supports Trump's tweets that Obama was tapping his phone, which, at his phones, which is ridiculous in its sense, but, you know, it, it makes headline news. So the FBI is also believed to be investigating at least four men associated with the Trump campaign. That includes former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. Now, Paul Manafort is under multiple investigations. That includes potential money laundering related to... um some shady dealings he uh, allegedly had in Ukraine and Cyprus. On top of that, he has been accused of once working to further the interests of Vladimir Putin, who we know is president of Russia. So, by no surprise... Dictator of Russia. Right, dictator of Russia, and apparently, like, Trump's hero. Um, So, apparently... No, by no surprise, the White House is now trying to distance itself from Paul Manafort. So at a press conference, Sean Spicer, who is White House press secretary, he says, oh, Paul Manafort was just working for us in a very limited role for (laughs) for a very limited amount of time. No, he was a campaign manager. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, didn't he have like, so David Podesta, who we all know, his emails leaked. Um, and he was running, he was more or less running Hillary's campaign. If he wasn't running it, he was one of the most integral pieces to that campaign, one of her main spokespeople, and one of the few people who could have access to her during the election. That's what Paul Manafort was to Donald Trump. And earlier in the, during the election process, Donald Trump went out of his way to, I, I think this is the same person, where he assaulted a reporter for um, Breitbart. No, 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 that was Corey Lewandowski. Oh, sorry, sorry. That was the other campaign manager. Try and keep up. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. There were like four of them. <laughs> well, silly. Um, FYI, um, guys, if you want to chime into this conversation, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Apparently... At Bianca Marley wants to thank you, Stanley, for playing Pop Roach on our Twitter feed, okay? Bianca, you know I love you. I got you, girl. I got you, I just you, want to mention that. Give me some tickets to the Nets game. All right, so that's probably not going to happen. So I wanted to add back on topic with Trump's uh, alleged Russiagate. Some NSA analysts warned that the investigation could force Trump out of office. Um, according to one, his name is John Slinder. He's a security expert and former counterintelligence officer. He says if the president faces an indictment over these ad- uh, allegations of collusion with Russia to disrupt the presidential election, it could definitely put an end to his presidency. And I also want to add that Attorney General Jeff Sessions 
was forced to uh, recuse himself because of his own lies and ties to Russia as well. So it's just a big scandal. And I want to say that even though most presidents have to endure and face scandals, it's like this presidency and administration has created their own uh, within the first, even before he was elected to office. So um, before we get to your reaction on FBI Director James Comey's hearings, uh, hearing about the allegations, I want to open up discussion to the panel by ask, um, asking, what are your thoughts on the allegations that Trump's team colluded with Russia during the 2016 election? Uh, and guys, if you want to chime in, the number again is 212-650-0309. And I'm taking your tweets at BeHeard underscore radio. Or Alyssa, Facebook Live. Yeah, no, listen, oh, I yes. think it, they're really serious. And I think that all too often they are getting downplayed because people still say, oh, you know, but what about what the content of what the emails is? Or, oh, like, you know, there was no actual rigging of the votes. And that's true. There's no evidence that the actual voting machines themselves were hacked. Um, and yes, it is true that there are some things that came out in Hillary's emails and in the DNC emails that are problematic. But I think that by focusing on those things, which, by the way, at least with respect to the substance of the emails, the DNC and the Hillary emails, I do think that is an important issue that people should focus on. But I think that all too often people lately are focusing so much on that issue, at least some people are focusing so much on that issue, that they're forgetting that this is still a big issue. When a foreign government undermines your election, not necessarily by hacking the voting machines themselves, but by inter by spreading propaganda, by putting propaganda into the flow of information that your citizens are looking at, by having these bots on Twitter and on Facebook that constantly react to certain words and interject nonsense into legitimate conversations. Um, and then there's information that your own president and his campaign may have been involved in some way, may have colluded to think that that somebody would, as a candidate, you know, that is supposed to care about the interests and protecting the interests of America and running for president because they care about America would potentially collude with a foreign government and with a foreign dictator, no less, in order to win an election is like, it's not just perplexing, it's, it's criminal if it comes out that it's true. And you know, it, in my opinion, worse than Watergate if these allegations are proven to be true. Because I think at this point there's no dispute that the Russians were involved. The only thing we need to still answer is how much did the president know, when did he know, and was he involved the entire time? Thank you, Alyssa, for sharing your reaction to Russiagate. Stanley, what are your thoughts? So I don't want to—I I agree with a lot of things that Alyssa said, so I'm not going to repeat that stuff. What I do want to do, though, is kind of like pivot just slightly— and talk about people are still making a fuss about Hillary's emails. What was the most problematic thing we found in that email? Her I, saying that she liked open borders in one of her speeches? Well, I mean, there's like two, two different email things, right? There's her emails with the private server. Yeah. And then there's also, I think the emails that people are so upset about are the DNC emails that leaked about... Um, the DNC potentially undermining Bernie. And that was the reason why a lot of Bernie supporters decided that even after Bernie 
came out and said, support Hillary, we need you to all get behind her in order to win this election, a lot of Bernie supporters were like, no, I can't do that. But what exactly did they find? Like, what smoking gun? They found them saying that a lot of people were annoyed by Bernie. They even found some potential opposition they were saying that they could use to go out to Bernie that was never released or used. Other than those two things, what was really found? What smoking gun? When was there a, oh, we're going to make sure that only this amount of people come vote at this place, or we're going to make sure he doesn't get these funds? When did that happen? Right. No, it didn't. I think that's part of what the sideshow is, is like people want to focus on that issue. And I get it. People are mad. There was issues with the primary. There was issues with people getting purged off the Democratic rolls. Like there was issues with people feeling like the DNC had anointed Hillary. I think those are all issues. And I think they're all issues that are important and that we've talked about on previous shows. But at the same time, it's like the test of a first rate intelligence is the ability to keep two opposite ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. And that means being able to say, yes, some some of those things in the emails, I may have found them problematic. However, I also find it problematic that a foreign government was to interfere with our election and that the other candidate for the Republican Party may have been involved with that because that is a serious issue. And to say that you are more concerned with what the DNC did than you are with the potential that a foreign government was involved in interfering in our election is also a problem. And you can acknowledge both of those things at the same time and you can still retain the ability to function. I'm so glad that you guys brought up the DNC because the FBI began uh, investigating Trump's ties to Russia in July. But we all remember that FBI Director James Comey, he decided to publicize during the 2016 campaign that the FBI was going to reopen an investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. And we know that that had a dramatic effect on her campaign. So the question I have to you what to you guys is, you know, if you want to compare how the FBI treated Hillary Clinton compared to how they're treating Donald Trump, they just he just made this announcement into his presidency. Do you see any irony or hypocrisy there? So I'm not a part of the FBI. I don't have previous any other information, but from an outsider looking in, Comey was obviously in the gag to set Hillary Clinton up because they were investigating Trump as early as July, and then right around the time when they re-announced Hillary's second investigation, which really wasn't anything that had to do with Hillary, it was looking to Anthony Weiner's emails because he had emailed into her server as well. They they said that there was no investigation happening during Trump, and then Comey during the hearing said, you know, it's very important that like you make sure you're, you're careful about the information you let out to the public because it can cause an unnecessary panic. And I couldn't help but sitting there thinking, dude, are you kidding me? Less than five days before the election, you pumped out a fake investigation into Hillary Clinton that you knew that that, that would cause problems. And you held a press conference to, to like give out all the information from the first email server investigation about Hillary Clinton just to end it with, yeah, she didn't do anything, but I think she's guilty of something. But then now Trump is potentially committing treason. And you pretty much pussyfooted around this thing. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, we'll see what ends up coming out later on. But I think there's a lot of things that, you know, maybe could be coincidences. But then again, at the other hand, it's like all of these things, they start to add up. And then, then you have to ask yourself, like, really, is the, all of these things potentially coincidence? Like, for example, um, there was a meeting held in Russia a few, like I guess it was last year or something like that, where they were the Russian government was talking about how 
this was not like the Cold War. This was not like 1980. This is more like 1948. And the reason they said it was more like 1948 is because they said that they had something and that America was going to see how they could use something that was weaponized in order to get America to talk to them. Now, like, just to go back for a second. So in 1948, the Russians essentially were working on building the atom bomb. They had gotten information on how to build the atom bomb from certain people that smuggled secrets out of America and gave them to the Russians. The Russians then exploded an atom bomb And when the Russians exploded their first nuclear weapon, that's when America finally took notice to the fact that, oh, shoot, Russia has the bomb. We're going to need to go talk to them. So right before all these things start happening in the primary with all these leaks, um, the WikiLeaks and the DC leaks and all those things, right before that happens, or not right before, but pretty close in time before, one of the Russian government people comes out and says, we have something and the world is going to see that America is going to have to talk to us on the same level that they had to talk to us back in 1948, which is essentially to say we have some kind of weaponized information thing. Shortly after that, the leaks start. The first leak is sort of shoddy. It goes through DC leaks. It's not easily searchable. It doesn't get a lot of traction. Right after that, WikiLeaks happens. You also have in conjunction with that Paul Manafort coming on to be the campaign manager. And when that happens, Trump for the first time starts talking about how we might want to back out of NATO, which also happens to be one of the things that was talked about in that dossier that BuzzFeed put out that we still haven't been able to totally verify. So, you know, like Adam Schiff said during the hearings, all these things could be coincidental, but if you really think that they're all coincidental, then the Brooklyn Bridge is for sale, and I'll sell it to you really cheap. Well, you know, speaking of things that are coincidental, let me add that there was evidence back in October 2015 that Russian hackers compromised the DNC computer system. However, the FBI did not begin to formally investigate Russia's interference into the American election until July 2016. Why didn't the FBI take things more seriously? I I don't have an answer for you on that one, honestly. And incompetence, maybe? Maybe they just just people putting it off until it was too late. I, I don't really have an answer for you. I do want to like just take a, a quick personal moment because I want to shout out some people who are listening on Facebook oh, Live. Sure. Um, Mark Emanation, Diana Lavapool, Brandy. Thank you guys for tuning in. And if you think you have an answer of why the FBI well, didn't investigate this in 2015, let us know. Do you do you think that it's fishy? And before you answer the question, like we we saw what happened when James Comey had this uh, confirmation hearing. I mean, these are the questions that I wish were being proposed and that these are the and like I don't obviously he's in the middle of an investigation mm-hmm. so I don't know if he could have answered it but was anybody even asking the questions that are important like to me that's an important question that we need an answer there are so many open ended questions around Russia gate and I really don't know who is pushing really pushing to get these answers and it makes me really nervous about James Comey who I think maybe is playing ball now because he understands that the walls are closing in, so he needs to position himself to look like he was doing his job. Because the, the, the way he's behaved from the beginning, the way that he kind of put Hillary's misgivings in the spotlight, but then acted like nothing was happening with Trump, even though we had information, they knew about Paul Manafort meeting with people since July. They, they knew about different conversations happening all this time, and it's just coming out. So it really makes me feel that there were people in the FBI or people who we are trusting to protect our institutions who were sleeping at the wheel purposely. Right. I mean, and, you know, part of that could be that you could say, oh, well, you know, like you they want to open an investigation. They want to make sure they have enough 
at least enough initial information to go on before they start an investigation. Because the worst thing that can happen is like you don't have enough information. You start this investigation. It leads nowhere. You get nowhere. And then it accomplishes nothing. So you want to at least have some, you know, some information to go on when you start any investigation. I mean, to, to draw a sort of parallel, which is slightly different, but people have blamed Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore for moving ahead too quickly with the Freddie Gray um, indictments and, you know, trying to get those convictions and for the whole thing falling through because she didn't develop her case well enough before she went forward. Obviously, that's I was using that sort of just as an example of what I'm trying to say. That's a different conversation for a different day. We are not talking about Freddie Gray's death. We are not talking about Marilyn Mosley in Baltimore. Um, You know, and and I agree with you that with that, Stanley. But I will say, like, that's just the underpinnings of you want to make sure you have some information before you start an investigation. But just going back to the Trump thing in Russia to begin with, I mean, look at the information that's now coming out about Michael Flynn, right? Michael Flynn gets appointed to the Security Council. It turns out he's been working as an agent for a foreign government the whole time. He received payments from Russia. Why is he on that wiretap? Because the NSA constantly wiretaps foreign diplomats because we... we we can wiretap foreign governments and diplomats and people who are not American citizens, and they don't necessarily have the same constitutional protections that an American citizen would have. So if Michael Flynn is on the wiretap, that means that they were wiretapping one of the Russian diplomats. And the reason why Mike Flynn got caught up on that wiretap is because they were trying to listen in on something that the Russians were doing or even worse. They actually had probable cause to believe that Michael Flynn may have committed a crime, and they went and got a warrant in order to surveil Michael Flynn himself. So there, as you say, there's so many questions that we still need answered. You know what else we need to see? Donald Trump's tax returns. And that may seem like something that's not necessarily connected to this, but it is. Because if we saw his tax returns, then we would know where some of his loyalties would lie, because we would know where some of his business interests were and whether or not they were in Russia, which I'm guaranteeing they are, or at least some of them are. Great point, Alyssa. A lot of questions here. We're going to get to them. And remember, guys, if you have questions, call us up. The number is 212-650-6903. Tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. When we come back, I want to know if you guys think Trump should be impeached. Thank you, Stanley, for that. So where we left off, we were talking about Russiagate. And, of course, you guys, I know you guys are paying attention to this. This is a big scandal. It is a central narrative in news. No matter how many times Donald Trump tries to claim that Obama tapped his phones. Okay. Through the microwave. <laughs> Through the microwave, by the way. Jesus. Despite that. We need to stay focused because Russiagate is an issue. And if they compromise the 2016 election, they also compromised American democracy. And this can have a global impact because if Russia gets away with this, imagine what can happen in France and Germany and moving forward. So that's why we're talking about this right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz and Alyssa Fuchs. So... Before we get to the big question of what are the chances that Trump might resign or be impeached, you know, is this comparable to Nixon and Watergate? I want to talk about how Trump supporters have been responding to Russiagate. A lot of them are saying, you know what, I think these are these allegations are just a ploy made up by the Democrats. Alyssa, what do you say to that? Oh, my God. It like drives me insane when I hear Republicans say things like this. These are people like 
Okay, let me go back a second. Ronald Reagan would literally be rolling over in his grave right now. Ronald Reagan, like, made an entire career. I love him, hate him. We know that there's many other issues that we have with Ronald Reagan. Body's dead. But Ronald Reagan made a career out of making sure that the that the Russians were came behind the United States, that we were always the superpower. You know, that we had Cold War, all of that. Russia was always the enemy. To hear Republicans literally say that they don't care about these connections even if they turn out to be true and that they don't like there has we have gotten to a place in american politics where people care more about party loyalty and about loyalty to their chosen candidate than they do to america and that is really perplexing and obviously there are uh, so many issues we can talk about about loyalties to america and whether or not we should have patriotism but if there's one thing that we can say and maybe all agree on it's that you know we want the person who is our president to represent us and and to act on behalf of Americans um, and not act on behalf of a foreign government. In fact, we're getting a comment right now on Facebook Live from Matthew Glum that says Trump may be a Cold War deep cover Russian agent. And then he also said if Trump was being investigated in July of 2016 and President Obama didn't want to release anything, maybe that they wanted to wait until they had actual proof of Trump's involvement, which is ex- completely the opposite of what Trump does. But the fact that Republicans who used to be so anti-Russia, like, would now say, oh, you know, no, we don't care if the Russians helped our guy win is so perplexing to me. Could you imagine if Hillary Clinton got help from a foreign government getting elected? Do you know the kinds of things that Republicans would say? The they would want her. They, yeah, I was going to say they would start moving to impeach her like the very first day she was sworn in. It is so hypocritical that they don't care because their guy won. I don't even know what to make of it. It, it, it gets under my skin so much and drives me up a wall. So. I don't want to repeat that. I want to kind of like make this a bit more personal. Imagine if you were interviewing for a job with Apple and then Microsoft and like you had a team helping you and then Microsoft said, you know what? We're going to help you get this job because we want you to be in control so you can make us look better. And now they started getting you information from Apple that you could use to get the job over somebody who's more qualified. Once you were hired by Apple, if they found out about that, you'd immediately be suspended until an investigation was done and completed. Shoot, if you work at McDonald's and somebody said you took a french fry, they will suspend you until they can look at the cameras to see what's happening. But the the, the leader of the free world, well, I guess that's Angela Merkel now, but <laughs> the former leader of the free world or the president of the United States, Donald Trump, there's deep accusations with lots of proof that he may have messed with our like biggest enemy to do this bad thing. And the ones who are in charge of correcting him, the ones who are supposed to be impartial, the person that you're supposed to know that, even if I don't always agree with them, I can trust they have our best interest at heart. They're they're just laying down, letting it happen. That's what's happening right now. No, Stanley, you are absolutely right. Um, you know, despite if you voted for Trump or not, this leaves serious questions about his credibility, his legitimacy, and his ability to be trusted. Well, he had none of those. I'm talking <laughs> about the Republican Party. Like, let, let's be very honest. Donald Trump is a bad president, potentially a bad person, and also a bad, and also, you know, some people don't think so. And like, objectively stupid. But the Republican Party, even if we don't necessarily agree with their politics, they're running this government. And you would hope that they would be responsible. And they're not governing responsibly right now. They're literally laying down for somebody who cannot hold a consistent thought for more than 40 seconds. Right. And what I'm saying is that Donald Trump eventually is going to be hit by a scandal that he doesn't create himself. Right. Um, 
for instance, there was a mass shooting in Cincinnati. But what if this person happened to be that big, bad, scary Muslim terrorist that they're always talking about and trying to um, t- trying to like make out of? Like, how is he going to deal with that? And I just, you know, politics aside, we need a, a president that we know has the American interest best at heart. But what Donald Trump shows is that he the first thing he cares about is money. And then the second thing is his own public interest. And he will lie and and also offer a number, uh, uh, also uh, use propaganda to protect this. His yeah. money interests and his personal profile. Which is why getting the tax returns is such a big issue and so related to this. But here's the other thing that I wanted to mention. Republicans have held so many investigations. How many inv- Benghazi investigations were there? No, Republicans me? held so many in Benghazi yes. information over and over and over again to investigate whether or not there was a lie about how the ambassador got killed. But yet, when the president of the United States is accused of colluding with a foreign government in order to get elected to the begin with, and then the FBI director comes to Congress and then test gives testimony about the fact that the FBI is literally looking into whether or not our president colluded with the foreign government and the same people that had the audacity to continuously hold these Benghazi investigations over and over and over and go Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi and create this whole witch hunt that that basically was political in order to make sure Hillary Clinton did not get elected that actually showed nothing proved nothing, showed that Hillary Clinton did not do one thing wrong with Benghazi and then they have absolutely nothing to say about this and on top of which when the FBI director comes down there they then start talking about the leaks the leaks are the problem Uh, you know we have to go after who's the leaks wasn't it the Donald Trump who was saying I love WikiLeaks (laughs) just a few months back no no, Alyssa you're absolutely right and I wanted to stop you there because I also wanted to um, ask you are there any connections that you see this being related to Watergate and the Nixon scandal. Um, oh, uh, uh, Alyssa, did you want to answer that briefly before we move on? Yeah, definitely, I will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is way worse than Watergate. Just oh, you think you it's some, worse? I do. Just to give you some context, so in or at least as bad. In the Watergate situation, um, Nixon directed his cronies to break into the physically break into the Watergate Hotel, which is where the DNC had their headquarters, and to steal information about how they were attempting to win the presidential election. Thereafter, information he tried to say that he wasn't involved in it. Thereafter, information came out that not only was he involved in it, he had directed the entire thing. Thereafter, Nixon knew he was going to get impeached because he had committed a crime. And so what did he do? He resigned before before he could get impeached. This is essentially the same thing, which is, okay, maybe they did not physically break into a hotel and steal information, but they, not only did they break in, potentially, of course, allegedly, not only did they break into the hotel, in this case is the email server, um, and steal information, they also did it with a foreign government. (laughs) That deserves, I know I keep repeating that, but that deserves to be keep repeating. So it's not just the break-in. They broke in, they did it with the, potentially did it with the help of a foreign government, and then they used the information, they weaponized the information by putting it on WikiLeaks so that the the press here in America could then perpetuate it back to the American people. And the focus then became on what was in the emails themselves and not on the fact that a foreign government was in cahoots potentially with a presidential candidate to win an election um, or steal an election is what we really should be saying. Speaking of Nixon resigning um, to avoid being impeached, Stanley, do you think that 
there are some chances this could lead to uh, President Trump being either resigning or being impeached. And do you think he should? Your personal opinion as well. I don't think Donald Trump would resign. I don't really? Think so you think he'd rather be impeached? Like, they're going to have to drag him out of there, and I think they're afraid to do that because I do think there was some deep collusion, and I think a lot of the big heads in the Republican Party knew about the collusion and maybe ha- were even involved in the later process, and they know that if they try to impeach him, he will take people down with him. And I think I mm. also suspect that's why President Obama so did not— So he's a not, snitch. That's <laughs> what you, yeah, what you course, basically saying. Yeah. And, okay. I, and I also suspect that's why President Obama did not make that other information public until— he was just about to leave the office because you could take out Trump now, but that's just the arm. You want to take out the head and the legs. And I think that's what this is all leading to. But I also think he was a little bit too optimistic about the loyalty of corny white men to this country and not to themselves. So so we'll see what happens. Do I think he deserves needs to resign? Absolutely. If in a perfect world, we'd have a do-over for the election. So, but if he is does resign or is impeached, how do you feel about Vice President Mike Pence Mike, becoming president? Mike Pence is an incompetent white man who thinks that you can electrocute people until they're straight, so I don't like him. Alyssa, <laughs> how would you feel about I mean, Mike Pence becoming way. president? Obviously, I think this is no coincidence. I like to use the term allegedly because it hasn't been proven. And as a lawyer, I feel very strongly that people are essentially innocent until proven guilty in some way until more information comes out. That said, I am not stupid. The American people are not stupid. It's like, well, you know it, well, okay, maybe some of them are. But this is one of those situations. It's like when you're talking about obscenity, a great judge once said, I can't define exactly what it is, but I know it when I see it. Well, I can't define exactly what's going on, but I know it when I see it. And what I see leads me to believe that the president and his people had deep involvement with the Russian government in order to undermine the election and undermine democracy. And let's not forget, the reason why Russia wants to do this to begin with is because Russia wants to take back all of the countries that Russia lost when the Soviet Union collapsed. And the only way that Russia can engage in that type of aggression, like we saw in Crimea, like we saw in Ukraine, and like they would like to do in a lot of other places, is if the America, if America steps back. Because it's America that's standing in the way of what Vladimir Putin really wants. And as soon as Vladimir Putin gets somebody like Donald Trump on his side, then Russia can essentially do whatever they want without the United States pushing back. And that's what we shouldn't lose focus of. That is what is behind all of this to begin with. So, my feeling is, as soon as soon as the evidence comes out that this is true, that the Trump administration did, in fact, collude with the Russians on this, then, yes, Donald Trump absolutely has to resign. And if he's not going to resign, he has to be impeached. And Republicans need to grow some cojones, as we would say, and they need to step up because at the end of the day, history is going to judge them if it comes out that Donald Trump really did collude with the Russians and they do nothing about it. So history we have- doesn't matter if you're a white man because you write history. All right, so with that said, we have some callers on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. Yes, we do. So we have Matthew and Will on the line. We want to let Matthew let his voice be heard first. Matthew, let us know what you're thinking. Yeah, uh, I was just wondering, what would be better for the country as a whole, uh, impeachment or resignation? Because there's pros and cons to each side. With impeachment, it's more. It's probably going to be more public. Um, they're still going to have to wait, obviously, until the investigation is done on both sides. But if he's impeached, it kind of gives the public, at least the non-Trump people, a chance to say, like, you know, we told you so. And it gives them a chance to basically just vent, you know, their frustrations uh, as far as that goes. But if he resigns, wouldn't wouldn't that cause some animosity uh, among the people? Because it's not like he's 
was in office when it happened. You know what I mean? If you resigned and then the trial happens, if it comes out that it's all true and whatnot, it's kind of like it kind of deflates the situation, wouldn't it? Matthew, thank you so much for asking that question. I want to answer it very quickly. I don't necessarily think it matters how he leaves office. Um, you know, I, I think that impeachment will be a more powerful showing because it's an indictment that he actually did something wrong. In in relation to you know what it, what the impact is, I'd rather I'd rather have somebody in office who I agree with on every level politically, but at least cares about the country. And has loyalty to America than to have someone who is incompetent and a racist, and I also disagree with politically, and is pretty much uh, a water boy for Russia. That, that's just that's just where I stand with it. We'll see what happens. Thank you, Matthew, for letting your voice be heard. Excellent question. I know we have Will on the line who would like to let his voice be heard. All right, Will, go ahead. Look here, I think uh, the established Republicans jumped on the Donald Trump wagon because he looked like he was the best call and to get into office. Once they got into office, I think they have their own clandestine plan to face him out, to push him out the office. I think they're going to do their own thing, you know, underhand to get him out of there and uh, to make it look, you know, <clears throat> more palatable. But um, like I said, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. No, no kind of stretch of imagination. But um, I think he's, I think he's on his own. They got their own plan. What they want to do? They want Pence in there. They want to, you know, press on without him. That's what they want to do. Thank you so much for that comment. Well, I used to think the same thing, but the amount of unforced errors that they're making, they just like they have like a litany of stupid things, objectively stupid things that they have done or allowed to happen since he's coming to the White House. I, I don't I don't know anymore if that's their plan to just get rid of him from Mike Pence because I mean Alyssa I think you can do a better job of like well no I'll also add is that if this if the evidence comes out that what the collusion with Russia that Mike Pence was somehow involved in that there, there's a potential that Mike Pence could get impeached as well so I think people have always focused on like oh if Donald Trump gets impeached then it's going to be Mike Pence now obviously we don't know what Mike Pence's level of involvement and so there could be a situation where maybe Pence didn't know what was going on and so Donald gets impeached and Mike or resigns potentially and Pence becomes the president. On the other hand, you could have a situation where the information and the evidence lead you to find out that Pence did know what was going on as well. And And then if they both got impeached, then it would be Paul Ryan who became the president. Yeah. Um, And and, and just to add to that, I want to just make clear for our listeners, an impeachment is like an indictment. It's not removing somebody from office. Um, When somebody gets indicted, that's just a a grand jury saying that there's enough evidence to move forward um, with the criminal proceedings and potentially go to a trial where the person is then found guilty or not guilty after the trial. Impeachment is the same thing. It's essentially the indictment. After impeachment happens, then there is a trial that is held in the Senate. And if the Senate finds the president and potentially the vice president guilty of these crimes, then and only then will the Senate vote to move that person out of office. Um, Famously, Bill Clinton was impeached, but he was not removed for office because he was acquitted at his trial in the Senate. So when we use the word impeachment, we have to remember it's not just impeachment. It's impeachment and removal. You have to talk about both steps of the process. Definitely. Yes. So, um, guys, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But We appreciate your calls and your tweets on the matter. And I just want to end by saying this. No matter how hard 
the Trump administration and Trump himself tries to distract us with the tapping of the phones claim that he keeps on saying or the apprentice and his argument with Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever else goes on in his head that he feels he needs to tweet at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning. Russia Gate is not going anywhere. This is something that we are all paying attention to, and this is something that he cannot drown out with his own white noise. We see you, Trump. We're investigating, and we're going to make sure that we get some answers to these questions by any means necessary by making our voices be heard calling up our congress people and letting me know if there's another confirmation hearing i need some real questions being pushed because we definitely need some answers and i also want to say that as i mentioned before this is eating away at his legitimacy his moral authority and even his leadership and respect over the republican party if you can't even get your own party to respect you and to basically push the agenda and your vision for the country then you have nothing i mean absolutely nothing and incompetency is just not even a word to describe it at this level but it's just he is spiraling downhill and you know what i think that the resistance movement is doing a good job in making sure that we put as stanley would say a boot on their neck so that they know we're watching and we're paying attention. On that note, we do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're coming back with the news roundup and some juicy, ironic stories that happened over the week right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Listen, seeing you got And... <laughs> We Do you like the way back. I play the radio song? Not really. You look like a African-American Waldo. <laughs> Listen, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Selena is entering her ancestors' phase and wearing the garb of her people. Selena is black Waldo, Shawaldo, and she is wearing a striped turtleneck. Why are you wearing a striped turtleneck on the fifth day of spring? I don't know. But anyways, guys, we are here to do a radio show, and if you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am wearing my Latinos Run sweatshirt, and I'm not even sweating in the shirt because I'm beautiful. I am here with Alyssa Fuchs with the snap back, forward, backwards, wait, facing backwards, and on Facebook Live talking to her base and her fans. And of course, Selena Hill from Black Enterprise, aka Miss Leonce, making mad money, speaking to people, and flying all over the world. And if you are just tuning in, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We finished an amazing conversation about Russia. Maybe Donald Trump will get impeached. Maybe he'll resign. Maybe neither will happen, and we'll still be stuck with a crazy, mediocre white president. Either way, that's no more time for that. This this is the news roundup where we talk about our favorite news stories throughout the week. Things that made you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or maybe even just sip your whiskey softly. I have plenty of stories like that, and I'll start it off. One of the stories that made me sip my whiskey softly and just laugh at a white person's tears was Tommy Laren, America's favorite washed <laughs> you white love woman. That story. Oh, yes, I do. America's favorite washed white woman. She said she was pro-choice on The View and The Blaze, the publication that she puts up her corny four-minute videos for, suspended her. They didn't suspend her when they said that Black Lives Matter was a new age KKK. They didn't suspend her when she said that Black Lives Matter was stupid. They didn't suspend her when she said all kinds of racist stuff. But they suspended her because she thought a woman should have a right to choose whether she wants an abortion or not. And all over the world, corny white women have been gathering together to support her. And my black behind is saying, peace, beloved. Oh, my. No, so, yeah. So, Stanley 
And I think a lot of us have been following this story pretty closely with Tommy Lauren. But here's the thing. She's built such a great platform for herself. She's not going to go anywhere. She can easily get hired at another conservative right wing type of platform or media outlet. Or she can continue to build her own. So it's not the last we're going to hear from Tommy Lauren. No, you're right. Wherever, whenever there is white fragility, there is a space for corny white women and white men. So she will find a new job that will pay her more and overhype her as a talent when she's not. Right. So speaking of that, um, another thing that we definitely need to talk about is the missing black women. Um, there was a viral post that went out that was being pushed by police officers in Washington. And it was showing the. It, it actually put faces to the names. And we see that all of these young black women and young black girls are missing. And a lot of people misconstrued this information and thought that there was like a spike in um and, and black girls and uh, black women being abducted. But the uh, police officers are saying that's not what happened. We're just publicizing well, it more. Let me push back. Fifteen black girls have gone missing in the last three weeks. Fifteen. That's not maybe it's not a spike, but that's a problem. It is. And Definitely. the Chicago, the Washington police reacted very poorly. They said, if you don't want to get kidnapped, don't go outside. And then they said when people said maybe this is sex trafficking, what this could be. They said these girls are just fast and maybe they want to be kidnapped or they want to be doing sex trafficking. Listen, if 15 white women went missing Mm-mm. tomorrow, they would have Mm-mm. the National Guard all over Washington, D.C. If one white woman went missing in a rumor 20 years ago, they're nope. still looking for her yep. and they're still putting our stories. Are they, aren't they still looking for? John Benet Ramsey. Yes, 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 they yes. are. Alyssa. A seven-year-old white girl. They have whole documentaries about white people crying because they can't find out who killed her. But fifteen black That's girls true. are missing. Fifteen black girls are missing, and this is not just a Washington problem. In New York State, in the Bronx in particular, recently there has been a spike of missing black and Latino girls in the Bronx, and no one is saying a word. You cannot tell me you are for black people, you are for black lives. This is a multi-generational, multifaceted feminist movement, but I don't hear a single white voice when our black and brown girls are being lost to these streets. No, it's true, and statistics show that when black women... in particular, go missing, they don't get the type of press coverage and media coverage that that we deserve, frankly. And um, this is something that's systematic. It's become embedded in our fabric. The fact that young black and brown boys and girls are uncared for, they go unrecognized, we put them in horrible education systems, and then they end up just going from school to prison. And we're actually, later on in the show, we're going to talk more about mass incarceration when we talk about the campaign to close Rikers Island. But this is something that's been going on for generations in our country. And, you know, I just thank God for social media because finally people are starting to wake up and starting to humanize black and brown bodies. Because when we just hear that Latisha and, you know, and that black girls are missing, no one cares. But I think that when we actually see these faces and realize this is the girl that you went to school with this is the girl you sat next to on the bus and now she's gone right no i mean listen i agree and obviously you see this kind of weird thing where when you know and not to discount it like when 200 girls went missing in africa and yet white women in the united states were very like bring back our girls right that was like a big thing but then when something happens so hyper locally here um and maybe not even hyper locally just like locally in that like this is dc this is our own country and it doesn't get the kind of traction um and obviously bring back our girls should have gotten traction so this is again one of those issues where just because I'm saying that did doesn't mean I'm saying that like we should give traction to the DC issue and ignore the issue that's going on in Africa. But the fact of the matter is, is if we're going to focus on what's going on in Africa, we also need to be paying attention to what's going on right here in our own backyard.
No, that you're absolutely right uh, about that, Alyssa. Um, uh, before, yo, go ahead, Stanley. Yeah, before we wrap this up, I do want to say that there are some people doing work on their own since the police want to pump fake on this. So right now, Black Men United is doing a call on black males. They want to do street patrol protecting our black queens. If you want to join them, it's 5 p.m. Eastern in Southeast D.C., March 26th. The place is the Navy Yard Metro Station, M Street Southeast. And you can make sure you get involved in that if you want to do do if you do want to get involved in that for our DC folk. The number is 202-792-2087. 202-792-9087. Thank you for that, Stanley. So I did want to move on. Later on in the show, Alyssa will be giving us a full quickie on Trump care, the debacle, and what this means for our health care plan. But I also wanted to mention, I think it was just yesterday, Senator Bernie Sanders introduced a Medicare for all bill. And that is something that uh, he will be pushing. And I think Peter Relsh in the House of Representatives, it will be introducing the same bill. So universal health care, there's still a fight for it. And to me, this is very refreshing, especially after we finally saw uh, the Trump care being killed in this this battle, not the war, but we will have, again, senators on the line like Bernie Sanders pushing so that we can all get universal health care. I mean, the United States is one of the last uh, world uh, world leaders as a country to not give our citizens health care. And to me, it is a right. So that's something that we should all definitely be making sure we pay attention to. And guys, if you're listening and you want to chime in, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. Continue tweeting us at beheard underscore radio. You know, and I just wanted to also point out, just to have a little fun story this week, um, which is while the health care bill was crashing and dying, Donald Trump was driving a truck. And he wasn't even driving it. He was fake driving a truck in the White House lawn. Um, but the memes have been epic. Have you seen some of these memes, Stanley? No, the I have truck not. Memes? Dude, I've been so busy with Trump care stuff. I haven't seen anything. Tell me. Okay, so <laughs> basically, while the Trump care bill was collapsing, which I am going to talk about later on in the show, Trump had some executives from a trucking company come down to the White House and they brought a truck. And Trump thought it was really funny if he was to go sit in this truck and pretend to drive the truck. And so he took some photo ops of him fake driving this truck around the White House front lawn. But it looks like he's taking a poop. Um, Oh, my God. All these memes going around with him, um, like going like this while he's stealing the truck. And one of them says... Um, it's like the Imodium AD ad, and it's like, because you never know when diarrhea is going to hit you. Oh, <laughs> Alyssa, send me that. Text me that right oh, now. I need that. that one to you. But there's like a lot of them. Like Twitter exploded with memes. With diarrhea. Oh, <laughs> that I can't with Trump. Yes, yes, Speaking yes. of uh, things I can't, so Stanley had a chance to see the Power Rangers movie on Friday. Yes. And before Stanley gets into his review without spoiling it for everybody. Hey, I w- you got <laughs> The power and the force that you've never seen before. Dun, oh, my dun, goodness. Dun, dun. Now, hold on, go, Stanley. Go, oh, oh. go, go, Power, power Rangers. Rangers. <laughs> it's perfect time. Thank you for that. So, um, from my understanding, I, I didn't see the movie, but um, I did read up on it, and I heard that they introduced a Power Ranger who may have been either, uh, who was LGBT, who was either bisexual or gay, and they also had a Power Ranger who was on the autistic spectrum. So, Stanley, is that... What was going on with the Power Rangers That movie? is mother-loving true. Billy was a black boy, and he was on the spectrum, and he is awesome. Um, you're going to love him in this movie. You should watch it just for him. And then Trini, so they don't necessarily say like what her sexual identity is, but it's very obvious that it's not, tra- quote-unquote, traditional. 
and that her parents are having a hard time dealing with that. So I, I think that she might be fluid, but um, I, I'll let you guys watch it, and you can decide on your own. Either way, she's lit. Why don't we just ask her how she's identifying? Why would we ask people? <laughs> we kidding. don't do that. So, so Stanley, with the movie now, is it is this a movie that's geared towards adults like you who love the movie, uh, who love the series when it was out back in the 90s, or is it geared towards children? So you know what's amazing about this movie is it did a really good job of seeming in like all the like little Easter eggs for us older fans that we they, they knew we would love, while also making a new movie that everyone can really you know be a part of and what i really appreciate about this movie is they've modernized the characters in the way that it makes it more palatable to like people in this day and age to have a power ranger who's on the spectrum especially with the way that that like society perceives people with with um you know who are on the spectrum or have autism or, or other issues and so like to have somebody who's a power ranger do that and now to have a power ranger who's not only a woman of color but also like a part of the lgbtq community the Power Rangers was, was always about inclusion and love and support, and they just added on to that. So I was really happy with that. Definitely, definitely. So, guys, if you are interested, definitely see the Power Rangers movie. You know, before we, like, close out, I really wanted to talk about the confirmation hearings. and oh, just yes. like Because, obviously, that's been going on. But, you know, other like that aside, I actually have something I want to raise, and maybe it will be controversial, and maybe it won't. So there was an article that was published this week in Cosmopolitan Magazine, and it was about Ivanka Trump. And it was basically the article argued that it was an insult to working women for Ivanka Trump to get this plum job in the White House, even though she's not going to get paid for it, because if she was to get paid, there would be the, all these issues with the nepotism laws, which is, you you know, as a president, you're not allowed to handle a family member. But there was a lot of really mixed reaction on politically preposterous about that, where some women were like, no, you know, like, um, you know, it's not offensive to women. Um, like, you know, yeah, like she's has this job, whatever. Um, like, like, why are we making a big deal about this? It's a distraction, which, again, I say, like, not just because we're talking about something doesn't necessarily mean it's we're distracted from other things. And then we had a lot of other people who were like, no, like this chick has a silver spoon in her mouth. Everything's always been handed to her. Daddy gave her this plum job in the White mm-hmm. House. And I'm insulted as a working woman who has worked really, really hard to work my way to the top that she could just get handed this job. So I wanted to get your guys opinions on on this issue. Selena? I mean, nepotism has always been a factor here the thing that upsets me the most is Ivanka as a young woman who has some type of sense of knowledge the fact that she won't push back and like speak up when it comes to women's rights like I think that if she could talk about being pro-choice or or talk about things that I think matter to women more then I wouldn't mind her in that position but like for her to just be handed I'm sorry and for her to just be handed that position because she's the daughter of you know the president I mean I mean stuff like that happens all the time i know and you know like some people have said to me oh you're just mad you're just a hater because trump lost the election i'm like no it's not about that at all it's like I have worked so hard to get to, you know, like, and obviously you, Selena, have worked so hard to get to where you are. Um, like, uh, you know, obviously we come from different experiences, you as a woman of color, me as a woman who's in the LGBT uh, spectrum. But nonetheless, it's like we went to college. We worked really hard. Like, I went to law school. I worked really hard. You have worked really hard to get to where you are at, um, at Black Enterprise. I've worked really hard to get to where I'm at. And just to, like, have this woman who has never really worked a day in her life have this job that she didn't really work for. Like, to me, it's offensive, and it has nothing to do with the fact that Trump won the election. Like, it's not about that. She worked as a fashion designer. I know, I know, like, everyone on the show and probably listening thinks that Stanley brings everything back to race, and I probably do because everything is about race and sexism. But the thing that really ticks me off about this is when a black person gets a job that 
maybe is like higher than what people expect, those same Trump supporters and those people in the Republican Party automatically say affirmative action. <laughs> Right. It's it's true. They automatically say affirmative action. They said Obama was an affirmative action president. Stop. That, so they say that. And then now you have Ivanka Trump, who, you're right, she didn't have to do anything to get these jobs. She's Donald Trump's daughter. There was no way she was not going to work for the company. No one's saying anything when she gets appointed to the White House. And then at the same time, we have a history of corny and mediocre white people getting jobs they don't deserve. Sure. George W. Bush went to Yale. He didn't deserve to go to Yale. He shouldn't have been in there, but his father went there. So, of course, he got in. And... So so her getting a White House spot is not much different than any other corny white person. And also, finally, to close it out, Selena, because you said something about why won't Ivanka Trump speak up about the things that Trump is doing wrong? Because she doesn't care. It, it's very simple. Like it, It's very simple. This, this election showed us one thing and nothing else. It was that 53% of white women voters care more about their white privilege than they do about feminism, other women, or black lives. It's as simple as that. Ivanka will never speak up because her bottom line is her bank account and her position in the world. And those two things are secure as long as Trump is in power. So we do have a call I want to get on to. This is Matt calling again. Matt, let your voice be heard. Yeah, um, I'm former military, so I know a lot about security clearances and how to get them and the requirements in order to maintain them. And I love her statement when she came out and said that she wants to work in the White House, how she would voluntarily you know, go through the process of getting security clearance. There's no, this is what I don't understand about her. You don't volunteer to get a security clearance. It's not like you can choose when and when not to follow these required rules. There has to be background checks on this, and you have to do the mandated, you know, ethical and moral uh, following of these rules, regardless of how your personal feelings are. And it's not really... I don't think she fully understands, like, like that's a big surprise, that she, you know, is going to be required to do and not speak about certain things by getting security clearance. So it just really upsets me that she just thinks it's some arbitrary thing just by making some, you know, stupid little office so that she can do something instead of sitting in her, you know, tower. Thank you, Matthew, so much. I mean, we here agree with you and we appreciate you for letting your voice be heard. I mean, a lot of things have been handed to the Trump, uh, uh, the Trump children. And these uh, this is one of the things like the White House, <laughs> the White House. I mean, uh, what has our country come to? Um, unfortunately, we do have to close it out. But before we do, um, I wanted to mention really quickly when we were talking about how uh, there's an auti- there's a power ranger on the autistic spectrum. Sesame Street has done the same thing. They also have a Muppet who is on the spectrum. So, And they have a Muppet whose father is incarcerated. But I'll say something about that. Is that Muppet black? Because I was, I had to, you know what? I, All I right, hope guys, the, we got to go. <laughs> no, we'll be right back. No, this. no, because I was about to call Sesame Street. I was about to troll them a little bit because it didn't have to be the black daddy. That wasn't there. I mean, okay. That's it, though. We can have that conversation. <laughs> we'll continue that conversation on Twitter. You can jump into that. And I will have to troll Sesame Street for that. Or on Facebook Live. Guys, we're going on a quick break. When we come back, we're talking about clothes Rikers. Here's I'm free. It's time to conquer Earth. Alpha, we just escaped. Recruit a team of teenagers with attitudes. WHCR 94.3 FM, New York. We are back. 
We yeah. are back. You know when you be jamming to a song and then you realize you're doing a radio show and people <laughs> can watch you on Facebook Live, you stream Wait, and tune in? Did you just like change outfits in the middle of the break? He put his glasses on. <laughs> That's right. So you can like feel smart. Pulling a Beyonce right so now? So this is Cocoa Butter Fritz. That's my new alias. Since I'm using coconut oil on my beard and my hair, I figure I should be listening to artists like India Ari and Solange and walking around barefoot. <laughs> oh, wait, please tell me you're not going to cross over into, like, I'm so woke that everybody else is horrible. I'm so woke I shower in coconut oil. I tried to <laughs> drink it away. <laughs> mm. I tried to put the Hennessy down. No, I'll never put the Hennessy down. So, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Shout out to Facebook Live. I see you, Christina Curtis. I see you, Didi. I see you, Brandy. I see you, Stephanie Grubello, who, by the way, I had a crush on her in high school, and she said, nah. I don't blame you, Stephanie. I was crazy back then. But anyways, we are not here to talk about how I had a crush on this girl at East New York Family Academy when I was 16 years old. We are going to talk about how at 16 years old, I was still 16% of a savage. And what does that mean? That means I might have talked crazy to a cop if he looked at me the wrong way or even asked me the wrong question. And that cop, because he or she may have wanted to, could have arrested me. And depending on what the charges were, I could have been sent straight to Rikers Island. I have a couple of friends who have spent time on Rikers Island, not as adults, but as 16 and 17 year olds. I got a couple of friends who joined their gangs at Rikers Island. Not as adults, but at 16 and 17 year olds. And some of those friends are dead now. But that's another conversation for another day. We are here to talk about Rikers Island and how it impacts people like my best friend, Eric Bonds, rest in peace, who went there for the first time when he was 15 years old. One five years old. One five years old. We're here to talk about Khalif Browder. And as you guys all know, because there's been a docuseries talking about his story, he was a young black boy from the Bronx who was arrested and never officially charged for stealing a book bag. A book bag. And the person that accused him of stealing the book bag went back to the Dominican Republic and didn't even remember that he accused this person of doing this. Khalif Browder spent three years at Rikers Island and at least 190 of those days of those three years were spent in solitary confinement. He was beat up by prisoners. He was beat up by guards. He was taken advantage of and he refused to take a plea because he knew he did not do a damn thing. Thing. And how old was Khalif Broder? He was 16 years old in a prison with a whole bunch of grown men. Some nonviolent, some not so nonviolent. Some people with mental health issues, some people with anger issues. And he had to sit there in that concrete jungle with poor facilities and make do. And when he got out, he was trying to get his life together. But you know what? I guess those walls closed in on him. And because we let him go, he unfortunately let himself go. The pressure became too much. And he became another young black man who got lost and eaten up by the system. So rest in peace, Khalif Browder. Rest in peace, Eric Bond. Rest in peace, Ellie. All of, all of my black and brown friends who have been in prison, all the black and brown kids that we don't know about who have been through this prison, who have died, rest in peace to them. And we'll start the conversation at this point. Rikers Island has eaten the souls of children and adults. People are tired. And that is a campaign to help to put an end to the to that prison system. They want to close the entire facility, a facility that started out as a place where you could get work. It was a work camp. And then in 1925, the government, the state government bought it back and turned it into a prison where they have over 10 different facilities that you can go into. And they think it's progress because now 16 and 17 year olds have their own space in the facility. Does it have the resources they need? No. Does it have the people that they need? No. Are they still on Rikers Island? Yes. 
but they think it is progress. This is a facility where they have had multiple, multiple lawsuits and charges of inappropriate behavior from guards, from correction officers, where they've had multiple charges of rapes and assaults, where they've had multiple issues. And now all of a sudden, people are saying they want to get something done. Mayor de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, is saying that he would like to make some changes to Rikers Island. And he's saying that the best way to do that is to invest over $500 million into the facility. And we have a friend on here, a great friend of the show, a great listener on the show, who is working on a campaign to do the opposite. He wants to close Rikers down. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about my good friend right here, Darren Mack. He is a project coordinator for the Center for Justice and core fellow at the New York Sibley, excuse me, New York Sibley Liberties Union. What? Stanley! Thank you. I'm going to need you to sound things out, Stanley. You know what? I don't believe in sounding things out or reading, so forget you, Did Stina. you Did you get that Betsy DeVos textbook? That's yeah. Oh! <laughs> there goes Ooh. the education. You know what, Alyssa? You're taking up too much space, white woman. Uh-huh. All right? That's what it is. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. The New York Civil Liberties Union and, and the Community Organizing Institute and Darren has been a huge advocate to close Rikers. I was against it. I thought, if you close Rikers, where are you going to put the killers at? Mm. And he has since confused, he has f- since convinced me, not confused me. <laughs> so now, we're going to be... Maybe both. Yeah, a little bit. The way I'm announcing things, you might think that I'm confused. So now this conversation we're going to have is about Rikers Island and why we should close it. And I want to start it off by letting my main man, Darren, school us. Darren, you're working on this campaign? Explain. Why do you guys want to close Rikers? Why has it gotten to this point? Hey, what's up, New York City? Yeah, so the Closed Rikers campaign started off with um, with an organization founded by Glenn Martin, um, Just Leadership USA. Who we've had on the show before. Shout out to Glenn. Yeah, shout out to Glenn. And this was last year, April, on the steps of City Hall in partnership with uh, the Katow Center. So, and along with, there's a coalition of about 60 organizations from the Fortune Society to Drive, New York, Drive Change, New York City. Shout out to Roy Waterman. Um, on the steps of City Hall, we, you know, we said that Rikers, is time for Rikers to be closed. And since then, in September, we had a march which, with almost 1,000 people in Astoria, Queens, to East Elmhurst so the, at the beginning of Rikers Island with over about 120 organizations. Uh, New York Civil Liberties Union has been a part of it, the Legal Aid Society. Uh, several organizations throughout the city um, basically came together and said the time is now. So it sounds like you guys have a lot of support for this movement. The question, Darren, is why? Why are you guys advocating to shut down Rikers Island? Well, Rikers Island basically is beyond reform. There's been reforms uh, tried for the last three decades. Um, money, more money has been invested into Rikers Island to try to, you know, to change the system. But there's a culture of violence in Rikers Island. That can't be eradicated by just like spending more money into it or by by changing staff or or more staff training. There's a culture of violence and a code of silence amongst CEOs that allows the brutality, the dehumanization, the all types of, of rape every single week. Some uh, there's a media story about some brutality or some sexual staff misconduct coming out of Rikers Island. We don't see these stories coming out of uh, um, the tomb. We don't hear about these stories coming out of the jail that's right in downtown Brooklyn in a high real estate area. It's always Rikers Island. Well, Darren, speaking of code of silence, I'm going to need you to stop banging on the table. <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, I'm we have, we have, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm with all of it. So I do want to say this is a lot of like helpful inf- information. But now my question is, 
if it's like if it's the culture of violence and it's not necessarily the facility, isn't it going to continue eat whether you close records or not? Just somewhere new? No, it's like there's like a historical memory there that when you go into Rikers Island, it's um oh this is the per- place where this person got stabbed up. This is the place where the pe- um the police beat up this person. So it's the historical memory when you go into a space. That's why we um when you have like historical sites to remind people what happened. And if once you close it down, this basically Rikers Island is a waste of taxpayers' money. That's another reason. Rikers Island currently has a budget of eight hundred and sixty-five million dollars. Before we get to you, Selena, I know Alyssa had something to say, so I want to throw it to her. Guys, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, our number is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. Again, that is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. We are also on Facebook Live. You can comment over here. I'm looking at you guys, Christina. I'll get your comment in a second. Hi, Gina Davis and Alyssa. If you have commenters. Feel free to squeeze them in while you're speaking. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of problems with Rikers Island. So, I I mean, I should back up. I'm a civil rights attorney. I sue the city of New York for civil rights violations. A lot of those civil rights violations actually occur on Rikers Island. The number of civil rights violations on Rikers Island is much higher than at the local jail facilities like the Brooklyn Detention House um, that you mentioned, like the Manhattan Detention House um, that you also mentioned. The reason for that partially is, like you say, the culture at Rikers itself. Um, Another thing... Thing that we need to really remember about Rikers Island is that the majority of people on Rikers Island are there because they cannot make a low amount of bail. They have not been convicted of any crime. Are there people on Rikers Island that are serving time? Yes. Rikers Island does house people that are serving sentences for crimes they've been convicted of for less than a year, essentially. If, you, if, if you've been sentenced to a crime uh, that you've, uh, sorry, sentenced for longer than a year, then you are sent upstate to prison. But the majority of people that are being housed at Rikers Island are people who are accused of committing a crime, bail is set on them. Usually the bail is not even that high. They are unable to make bail because they come from low-income communities of color. And because of their inability to make bail, they remain on Rikers Island during the pendency of their criminal case, which in some cases can take up to three years, even with speedy trial provisions, like we saw with Khalif Broder. And so the reason why I bring this up is because most of the people on Rikers Island, they're innocent. They're innocent until proven guilty of a crime. And yet they are exposed every day to violence, to rape, to sexual assault. We haven't even spoke about the women's prison at Rikers Island, the Rose M. Singer uh, uh, sorry, Rose M. Singer portion of the island which houses all women where sexual assault by guards against female inmates is extremely high. Before Preet Bahara got fired, um, one of the things that his office looked into was the treatment of 16 and 17 year olds and the fact that they were being housed in solitary confinement. And all all of these people, um, well, I shouldn't say all, but almost all of these people were people who were innocent. They were innocent until proven guilty. They were literally being housed there because they couldn't make bail. So while we talk about closing down Rikers and the adjustments that need to be made in terms of the island itself, we also need to make sure we don't forget that we need to focus on criminal justice reform, on bail reform, and all these other things that contribute to the reason why people end up on Rikers Island in the first place. Thank- Thank you very much, Lisa Fatton, Passion Peace. Um, the cliff notes on that one, we need prison reform. We definitely need better reform. We need more court-appointed court lawyers. We need more funding for those things. Selena, I saw your hand was raised. I want to throw it to you, and then we want to go to our callers. Right. So, you know, it, 
it sounds like basically Rikers Island is just ineffective, right? It's it's there, but it's become a culture of violence. Um, and, and it raises a number of questions. And I'm all for the Raise the Age campaign. 16 mm. and 17-year-olds should not be there. And I'm glad that they are no longer being housed in solitary confinement. But we need to push it further because they should not be housed with grown men. Let but, me just jump in for oh, one second. Yeah. So what Selena's talking about when she says Raise the Age campaign, right now New York State and North Carolina are the only two states where 16 and 17-year-olds can be put in to adult prisons, which is why my childhood best friend Eric Barnes was put into Rikers Island when he was 15 years old, and my other good friend Alvin Martin was there as well. Um, we're, there's currently a bill being pushed by New York State Assembly and Senate to get that age raised to 18. Selena? Right, so, and, and I get the bail reform that Alyssa talked about, because most of these people, like she said, are the working poor that just can't afford to, to not stay there. So, but the question I have is, why isn't a reform mechanism or reform programs good enough, which is why, you know, I understand Mayor Bill de Blasio is pushing for. Why can't we, if, if, they're, if they're already there, and I don't know where we're going to put these thousands of people, those who, you know, some did commit things. I would say most of them probably did not. But, you know, where should they go? And if they are committing crimes and they are violent in their own communities, why can't we reform them there? All right, so Darren, answer that quickly, please, because we do have two callers we have to get to. Yeah. I know that's not a quick answer, Yeah, though. well, like I mentioned, like for decades, reforms, for, since when I was on Rikers Island almost 20-something years ago in 92 when the population was like 23,000 detainees, the reforms, lawsuits been happening, and reforms have been made. But the corruption... The corruption and the brutality continue, and it rose up, rose up again. So, so that shows that more money... Interactive Island is not a solution because it's beyond reform. And the other issue is closing record is, is going to take a multi-pronged strategy where we decrease the population to such a low degree that the remaining people there that will be transferred to other existing facilities. That's why we need Razor Aid to get the 16 and 17 years off of the island. That's why we need to get the women off of Rikers Island. We, that's why we need speedy trial reform and we need uh, bail reform as well. So once those things are instituted into the system, the process will be more quicker. People won't be lingering on Rikers Island for three years like Khalif Browder and we can bring the um, population down and then transfer the already the people that's already there to existing facilities. So there's one piece of that question that you didn't answer. We're going to get back on you on that, but we want to make sure we get to our callers. If you guys like that song we played when we started the conversation, that was a song from a blind hip-hop artist and his name is Mr. Out of Sight. O-U-T-T-A hyphen Sight. No hyphen. Oh, no hyphen. I did Sorry, that for that you, was, Stanley, because you were mispronouncing everything else. I mispronounced three and a half words and maybe <laughs> one song. I didn't want you to mispronounce his name. So, <laughs> Mr. Out of Sight is on the line. Mr. Out of Sight, please let your voice be heard. Yo, what's going on? How you doing? Man, I'm all right. Thanks for the love. I like the fact that y'all played this song, man, helping me get the message out. Um, what up, Barry? What's good? All yes. Right. You know, Miss Arsa, I just want to say that I became a fan when I saw your rap against Donald Trump on the subway. That video was epic. But uh, we have him here on the show today to talk about his ex- personal experiences yes. about being on Rikers Island and, you, you know, the conversation. So from somebody who spent time there, um, what is your perspective when Melia Bill DeVazio says we need to pour millions of dollars into reforming um, this facility what, what do you say to that well this is what i say to that man from my understanding even though i can't see mayor de blagio's son dante i understand that dante's skin tone is similar to mine and i'm a like you know brown skinned brother in the hood so i'm wondering 
if Dante would be in the situation where he was targeted by NYPD and put on rackets out and for whatever reason, you know, maybe for being black, you know what I'm saying? Um, would he be interested in reforming Rackers Island or closing Rackers Island? You understand what I'm saying? They've been reforming and reforming Rackers Island for ages. And, you know, the violence still exists. And I can talk about it from a person being on Rackers Island as a blind individual. You know, I've noticed that um, the young the young woman there that was speaking, who's a lawyer for um, um, civil rights violations, she'd be um, well... Um, abreast of the situations that take place on Rackers Island with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Because, you know, I was on Rackers Island as a blind person, and I still had to deal with violence. I still had to deal with that, that, that same element. I had to deal with, the um, you know, the correction officers. I had to deal with, you know, the court process, visit process. Going to commissary was even a, a serious situation for myself because they don't have the proper things there to accommodate a person with a sensorial disability. Imagine if you were deaf and you couldn't speak. How would you inform a correction officer that you were in danger from another inmate or another detainee if he couldn't speak your language with your sign language? No, thank you That's so much point. for that. No, That's... those are great points. Um, you know, just to address that, yeah, I, I actually, I can't speak too much about, obviously, open cases that I have against the city right now, um, but I can speak generally in that, yeah, when it comes to people with disabilities, the situation on Rikers Island even becomes more dire. Um, uh, what I can say, without going into too many details, is there's been many occasions where I have represented people or spoken to people about the fact that there has been requests for accommodations, which even if you're in prison, you're still entitled to accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Those requests lots of times go ignored. Um, people with disabilities that need special housing or special accommodations are not provided them. That puts them in situations where they become even more vulnerable and in some cases puts them in situations where they end up getting further injured than they already are um, beyond their disability. Then there's other issues that go along with that. Um, the lack of medical treatment on Rikers Island, the um, basically what I'll call medical neglect, the indifference to people's just human beings and their sufferings. And I, I don't mean that just emotionally, but also physically um, in terms of people coming to them and saying that they have injuries that need to be dealt with and people waiting days, sometimes months to receive the proper medical treatment. So those are all things that definitely come into play. And I really appreciate that you raised that. Yeah, so guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, we have another call online, and then we will continue the conversation. I know we have a comment on Facebook Live as well. So this is Let's Your Voice Be Heard. We're talking about the campaign to close Rikers and the prison industrial complex. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. African American. Oh, I love that song. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about the campaign to close Rikers Island, a prison facility in New York City in between Long Island City and some parts of the Bronx. But hey, I don't know because I've been lucky enough to not be locked up inside of Rikers. I am in the studio with, as usual, Selena Saleyance Black Enterprise Hill and, of course, Alyssa Civil Rights Attorney Fuchs, who makes sure she takes up all the right spaces all the time. 
time with the snapback fitted cap it's be and the, the button joke. up. That's right. It has to be. And of course, if you're not sure, we have our great guest and also habitual listener of the show, Darren Mack, who was here schooling us on the campaign to close Rikers. Before we enter the segment, before we enter the previous conversation and went on a break, we had Mr. Out of Sight, a blind hip hop artist whose song we played on here earlier, telling us about some of the struggles you face as a person with a disability in Rikers Island. And Alyssa gave us some more information about that. We also have a caller on the line who is waiting to say to say his words as well. His name is Billy. So we got a lot going on but this is a great conversation so just to make sure we're letting people have their voices heard billy you've been holding for a long time please share your thoughts with us on this campaign to close rikers yeah hi is this me am i on you're on billy all right how you doing good morning everybody or good afternoon at this point uh i want to take take uh last year in chicago for instance you had over 750 uh assassinations of black people committed by black people and what I want to say is that if you really want to reform the prison system, then you have to, uh, you can move Rikers from here, and you can move, or you can move it over there, you can put Rikers over here, you could change the name, you could move it to a different site. None of that matters if you have the insane culture of black-on-black assassination. So take it there. Start right there. You can't blame all these other things for the, 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 the problems of that young black men are assassinating people in their communities at insane rates. And it just baffles, it's mind-boggling to listen to everybody talk about, oh, it's this, it's that, it's this. Hey, you guys are committing the crime. The crime is happening. The, the savage behavior is actually happening. So prison reform, this, that, and the other thing, how about stop the insane shooting of one another, the, uh, the robbing, the, uh, the high levels of rape, and to boot, if I can say, how about if, if you get pulled over by a police officer, instead of resisting and all that other nonsense, you comply in a peaceful way and then not escalate incidents. Bob, thank you so much for calling into the show today and giving us your inaccurate, white-splained opinion. We really appreciate that. And if you want to give us your opinion, and even if it's a white man-splained opinion that doesn't understand the facts or respect them, you can call us at 212-650-6903 and fully expect to be destroyed statistically by either me or Alyssa. Here are the facts. Black-on-black crime in the United States right now is about 89%. So 89% of the crimes committed against black people are done by other black people. Crime for white people is at 85% and going up higher. So 85% of the crimes happening to white people happen by other white people. Let's talk about some more statistics. You are serial killers. 87% of all serial killers are white. The majority of rapists in this country are white. The majority of child molesters are white. So before we start talking about black people killing themselves or making that black on black crime kind of conversation, why don't we address all the problems within racist discussion? between racist, child-molesting, self-hating white people. You're not going to do that. You know why? Because it is ridiculous to charge an entire race of people for destroying their same race. Instead, we have to look at the things that cause these problems. And we know that people of color, particularly African-Americans, Latino-Americans, are more likely to live in high-poverty areas. Chicago, in particular, was an area where they purposely redlined. So what they did was they cut the district up in certain ways that only black and Latino people could stay in certain communities. And they cut them off from all resources towards jobs, towards facilities, towards funding, etc. 
etc. Just two years ago, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, a former politician that I liked a lot, and so he just started becoming the mayor of Chicago, he closed over 100 libraries in Chicago because he said they did not have funding for it, and then they gave the Chicago Bears funding to build a stadium. So if you want to talk about the high crime rates in certain communities, we got to talk about the lack of quality education. We got to talk about the lack of funding. We have to talk about the history, the history of racist redlining and the way we have undercut black communities. And we also have to talk about the way that they have gone to these communities as if it is Iraq. And there's nothing wrong with Iraq. So let me be clear about that and just attack these people. And in relation to black people not complying with police officers, police officers are not the ones in danger from black people. Black people are the ones in danger from police officers. And if you seem to be confused about that, why don't you have a conversation with Eric Garner or Mike Brown, who we just found out didn't grab the cop's gun, didn't threaten the cop and didn't have a weapon and was running away from the cop when the cop shot at him or Trayvon Martin, who wasn't shot by a cop, but by a crazy neighborhood watch guy who decided he wanted to follow a 16 year old boy who had a hoodie on and a, and a pack of Skittles in his hands. Listen. We need to reform the prison system so that we can get back an entire generation of black and brown people who are unjustly put in prison for a lot of them and the others who fell to what society had set up for them to do. Fail. That's the problem. It's not your white feelings or black on black crime. Go talk to your crazy white folks who are shooting up schools. Alyssa, we have another comment that came in on Facebook Live. Well, we have a question, really. Um, we have a question from Matthew, and he wants to know. I think this is directed at Darren, so I'll, I'll turn the camera that way, which is um, he says that would a new generation of COs throughout the entire correctional system that have had psychological training, allowing them to empathize with prisoners instead of treating them like fourth-class citizens, be, uh, but still allow them to treat them like people, be of benefit in reforming the prison system? Yeah, that's just one small part of the solution is um training, more training. But we know Rikers Island has been, you know, all types of attempts to do different types of training, empathetic healing, you know, uh, but that's not that's just a small part. So, you know, but we need bail reform, we need speedy trial reform, we need uh reform, you know, we need to raise the age. But Rikers Island you know, people go in there with good intentions and all this training, but because the culture of violence and the code of silence is so deeply ingrained, it goes all the way t to the top to the former union boss, Norma Seabrook, who was arrested on on on, on fraud, yep. you know, just last year. You know, it's, it's the culture of violence and the corruption is too deep, and the only solution for Rikers, the Abu Ghraib of New York City, is to close it. So, guys, I... It's, it sounds like it's poison at the root. I want to switch gears just a little bit because we're talking about Rikers Island. But you close Rikers, you still have four, four or five prisons in upstate New York, prison county, I like to call it, that are running. It's the movement for black lives, they put out a policy platform back in August. And one of those pillars was to close all prisons. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, like our founder, um, Glenn Martin, Just Leadership USA, he said that Rikers is every jail. And every jail is Rikers. You could go to California, you'll find a Rikers. You could go to Chicago, you'll find a Rikers, where the culture of violence and brutality is just, you know, horrendous. But, you know, we starting right here in New York City. We're better than this. You know, if we could send a, a man to the moon, we could, send, we could close Rikers Island down. And we're going to start here with this jail and then work our way, you know, across the nation. Because ending mass incarceration is most definitely um, a big issue for me in our campaign. Well, hold on, Darren. I want to push back a little mm -hmm. bit because I think that the prison systems universally are poor, but there are people who deserve to be in prison. Yeah. And, and I don't say that because I'd like to see people in prison, but we have killers, real killers. For example, Dylan Roof. 
Jeffrey Dahmer. These people needed to be in prison. What do we do yeah. with them? So we could build that one that one that jail cell for um Jeffrey Dahmer, and we could build a, a jail cell for Dylan Roof. <laughs> what about what about the rest of the like the rapists, the child molesters? But the, well, there there really are bad people. You have to put them somewhere. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. And you know, I'm not a person. I'm not an abolitionist okay. at this moment. You know. But uh, I do believe that, you know, some people need to be in, um, t- um, taken away from the community, you know, for public safety. But how does that look? You know, we need to envision a system that relies less on punishment and invests more in prevention and healing. Like, that's why our shirt says, close Rikers, build communities. But can you build a community around a murderer? People don't start, it's not born murderers. People not born murderers. Like, for instance, like all the oil shootings that happen at schools, you know, they, they, ha- they have this... Um, they was they don't have criminal records or people people are shooting up schools and stuff like that. You know, people are not born mur- murderers. So I think if it was um, more investments in the community, if, like yeah, the billion dollars that it takes to operate Rikers Island, if they was in the neighborhoods like East New York, um, Bronzeville, South Bronx, and all the other seven neighborhoods that seventy percent of 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 the prison population in New York come from, then I think it would be you know the the, the prison population would decrease. Well, yeah, so so this is the question I have for Darren, you too, Stanley, mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe even Alyssa. So if you guys, as a part of the Close uh, Rikers campaign, and I don't know if you've done some work with that campaign as well, Stanley. Not, no. Okay, but you do support it. Yeah. So where would you say every uh, the people there that... May that probably did commit crimes and do deserve there. Where should they go? There's a thousand. Where should those people go? So I don't think you need to abolish all prisons. I do. No, think just Rikers Island. No, what? Just Rikers Island. You you do need a like a. I actually agree to an extent. You need a full investment to fix the facilities, and you need a restructuring and the philosophy and how you deal with prisoners. If it's about rehabilitation, there has to be an earnest effort for rehabilitation. And I think that the way that they deal with these public schools, where they can they just shut the school down and close it and fire 50% of the staff and reopen with new staff, something like that may need to happen with Rikers. However, there are people in there right now who don't need to be in there, and the best thing that you can do is get them out. So the, the best way to do that is fix bail. We need bail reform, and we need more funding for court-appointed lawyers because the reason a lot of people are going to Rikers, they're getting stuck there, is because they can't afford a lawyer, they can't afford bail, so they get a court-appointed lawyer who has about 80 cases on their docket, and they have about seven... Maybe even more, as Lisa mentions, and they have less than seven minutes to give you like proper legal advice, which means you're not getting good legal advice. I mean, the problems are many. Like Just in terms of bail reform, here's what a lot of people don't know. Bail reform... It's already on the books. We don't actually have to do anything to reform the bail system. You know why? The criminal procedure law already has eight types of bail. And six out of eight of those types don't require you to post any money. The problem is judges don't use them. We don't need to reform bail in that sense. We just need to start getting judges to use the forms of bail that are already on the books. In terms of the proposal, Bill de Blasio, I don't know why, crazily, um, just decided that he wants to spend more money investing in putting more money money into fixing Rikers. Rikers doesn't need to be fixed. Rikers needs to be closed. Even Governor Cuomo says Rikers needs to be closed. There is a proposal on the table about where people should be put, and it's back in community jails. And the reason for this is because I don't know if you've ever actually had to go out to Rikers to visit anybody. I have as a lawyer, but people have to go out there all the time to visit their friends, visit their family members. It's a whole day thing. 
Lots of people lose communication with their incarcerated family members because of the fact it is so difficult to get out to Rikers. That is a big problem. How do we solve that? Guess what? There's a jail in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Detention House. There's a jail right here in Manhattan called the Tombs or the Manhattan Detention Center. There used to be a jail in Queens. There's already a jail in the Bronx. The the solution is to close Rikers and to take the $2 million that they want to invest in fixing Rikers, which is broken and cannot be fixed, and use it to rehabilitate the community jails and to house people in the boroughs where they live if we need to have them in jail to begin with. The first step is reducing the jail population to make sure that those people who don't need to be in jail aren't in jail. And part of that is by using the bail things that are on the books and convincing judges to let people post things other than cash um, or bond. The second part of that, as you already mentioned, is about legal aid. But the third part of that is moving people off Rikers. I agree with you. There are dangerous criminals and that need to be housed in jails and in prisons that cannot be on the street. But the majority of people at Rikers, number one, are still innocent. And number two, are there for low-level petty or drug offenses. They are not there for violent crimes. If you have not been committing a violent crime and you are not accused of committing a violent crime... Housing you on risers shouldn't even be a thought. And if we're really, really concerned, you know, there's other proposals that we can talk about um, other than pouring more money into trying to fix something that cannot be fixed. It's broken. We need to close it down. So, guys, this is a great conversation. we got to wrap it up, unfortunately. So I'm going to close it out and I'm just going to say this. Listen, if you want to see what a society really values, take a look at how they treat their most vulnerable people. Take a look at how they treat the people with the least amount of power. There are plenty of groups now in our community and in our country that have very little to no power. One of the most powerless groups are our incarcerated people. When you say you want justice, when you say you want rehabilitation, when you say you want reform from people, and then you put them in facilities where their showers are overflowed with worms and dirt, where they're sleeping in, in cells which are, which are smaller than your closet, when they're st- walking around facilities where you have rats and cockroaches infesting the place all the time, where there's extreme violence, there's sexual assault, there's all sorts of corruption and rape going on, when you put them in those kind of facilities and you just let it happen, you don't care about your weakest people. You don't care about your most vulnerable people, which means you do not value life. The campaign to close Rikers, no matter how you feel about what we need to do with prisoners or incarcerated people, no matter how you feel about black-on-black crime or white-on-white crime, is a campaign that must happen because we have lost something in our moral fabric as American people and as human beings. We're supposed to have empathy. We're supposed to care. And right now, we have neither of those. And because of it, kids like Khalif Browder, they're dying. Kids like my childhood best friend, Eric Bond, he's dead. Kids like my friend Alvin Martin, he was incarcerated for two years. And you can't get that time back. You don't rehabilitate somebody. You scar them. What do we want? Reform citizens or scarred people? Ask yourself that question. We'll be right back. When we return, it'll be Alyssa, and she'll be telling you all about Trump Care and maybe some more. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. And we are back. So I am proud to tell you that ding dong, the bill is dead. 
And when I say ding dong, the bill is dead, I mean Trump care, Ryan care, that awful piece of whatever it was. I don't even know what to call it. It was just awfulness. Um, so what am I talking about? Well, we have a, had a whirlwind week in terms of health care. Um, but as I said earlier, and as Paul Ryan said, for the foreseeable future, Obamacare will remain the law of the land. Yay, victory. Shout out to all my people who called and wrote and got on your Congress people and actively resisted and showed up at town halls and rallies. We won this battle. But this war is not over and we're going to have to keep fighting. So I'm going to tell you what happened, why it happened, and what's going to happen next. So all week, the Republican Party, Paul Ryan, Donald Trump, they were working on a health care bill that would have repealed the Affordable Care Act. It would have cut 24 million people off their health insurance. Guess what? It failed. Epically. What happened? Well, rather than building consensus, the GOP decided to just pick an arbitrary date to pass this piece of legislation. And guess what? They didn't have the votes. As Nancy Pelosi so aptly said last week, rookie mistake, Donald Trump, rookie mistake. You don't pick an arbitrary date and then decide you're going to hold a vote. You build consensus. You wait till you have the votes. You wait till you think you might have the votes. And then you bring the bill to the floor. Republicans, they like to do things backwards. Well, because we know that they're backwards type people, they want to take us in reverse. So that's what we expect whenever they try and do everything, especially since they spent the past eight years being the party of no. Now they have no actually now they actually have no idea how to govern. So originally this vote was scheduled for Thursday at 7 p.m., but they had to cancel it because the House Freedom Caucus revolted and said, we can't get behind this bill. We're not going to get behind this bill. We can only get behind a bill that is a clean repeal. So what did the Republicans do? They were like, oh, well, we don't want to be embarrassed. So how about we reschedule this vote for Friday at 3.30 instead of saying, why don't we reschedule this in the future later on when we know we might have the votes? So then Trump came out Thursday night and he was like, guess what? If you guys don't pass this, then we're going to shame you or it's just going to be done. We're just going to leave Obamacare in place. This is your only chance. So then there started to be all this crazy negotiating, and the White House was negotiating, and the Freedom Caucus was negotiating, and moderates were negotiating. Everybody was trying negotiating, but guess what happened? The Republican Party, even though they may have won a lot of seats, they're still really fractured. We've talked a lot about how the Democratic Party is fractured. That's true. Republican Party, they got a lot of factions as well. What do I mean? Well, you have this very right-wing group, the Freedom Caucus, and they're the really hardliners, and they're like, we don't want anything except for a clean repeal. We're not going to vote for anything except a clean repeal. We hate Obamacare. we got to get rid of it completely. Then you have all these moderate Republicans, and they're kind of like, uh, my constituents are calling me, and they're saying, like, the health care law is benefiting me, and if I repeal it, I'm going to lose my seat. They're going to vote me out. So I can't vote for any type of repeal because my people, my constituents, they want to keep the health care act, or they want me to fix the health care act, but they don't want to repeal altogether. So what happens? Trump's like, well, we got to get these Freedom Caucus people on board. So he goes down, he tries to, he's like, what do you guys want? What, do you, what can we give you to get you to support this bill? And the Freedom Caucus is like, well, we got to strip out the essential health benefits. What am I talking about? Outpatient care, trips to the emergency room, treatment in the hospital for inpatient care for three-day stays, which can cost up to $30,000, care before and after a baby is born, mental health and substance abuse treatment, prescription drugs, services and devices, lab tests, preventative health care, pediatric services, all the things people actually like about Obamacare. They're like, nope, we got to gut all those things out. So now Trump's like, all right, well, maybe we could gut those things out. But then the moderates are like, Oh, hell no. If you got those things out of the bill, then we can't support those bills anymore. So now the moderates run away. So now you're sort of in this catch-22. 
If you want to appease the House Freedom Caucus, you lose the moderates. If you want to appease the moderates, you lose the hardline right-wingers. Guess what that means? Republicans, after 40 practice repeals, can't actually get this thing done. Because when push came to shove, when the real time came, the whole thing collapsed. And so now what happens is Trump failed, Republicans failed, Paul Ryan failed, and guess what they did? They blamed Democrats. Because nothing like blaming the party that's not even in power for the (laughs) fact that you're running everything, but you can't get your own people on the same page to vote for this reform. At the end of the day, this is not the end. During a rally that was just held yesterday, Mike Pence actually doubled down on eventually getting a repeal done. But Donald Trump also said, after he blamed the Democrats, that if the hardliners on the right don't want to work with him, but Democrats are open to trying to fix Obamacare, he might now be open to work with them. Which just goes to show you that Trump's never going to keep any of his campaign promises because he'll just flip-flop to whatever feels good, whatever it feels good. And so now we may actually get a situation, although I personally believe it's not likely, that Trump may actually decide to work with the Democrats to fix Obamacare and say, you know what, screw the Republicans, I don't even care about them. At the end of the day, I think that's kind of unlikely. I do think eventually there is going to be a new proposal to repeal Obamacare. I do want to say the resistance did work. People called, they wrote, they sent pokes cards, they sent emails, they tweeted their congresspeople, they showed up at town halls, they made noise, they went to rallies. We got to keep doing that. This is illustrative of the larger dysfunction in D.C. This is going to continue happening, not just with Obamacare, but with other proposals. Stay on your congresspeople. Keep calling. Keep writing. Keep showing up at rallies. Keep showing up at town halls. Keep holding their feet to the fire. At the end of the day, we won this battle. We can win the next battle, but we got to keep at it. Great. And not only was that a great quickie, but it ended on a great high note. We won the battle, and we will win the war. I love ending in optimism. We don't often do that here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Um, Before we close out, I want to give a special thanks to our in-studio guests today. We had Darren Mack from the Close Rikers campaign talk about the campaign to close Rikers. And if you were yourself convinced that we need to shut Rikers Island down, then you can join the campaign on April 24th at 10.30 a.m. to 12 noon at 6 City Hall. They will be on the steps of City Hall telling Mayor de Blasio, shut it down. And also, special thanks to Mr. Out of Sight for calling in. We want to thank everyone who listened, who left a comment on Facebook Live, who called in, who showed us that they loved us on Twitter, and a number of other things. And uh, we just want to... What, Stanley? Yeah, Mr. Out of Sight called back. He's actually fundraising so he can make a video for that shut it down video and also for the Donald Trump video so we'll be tweeting out that link on a GoFundMe as soon as we get it Darren we'll have that and Alyssa I think you have something to say no I actually just wanted to thank all the commenters on Facebook live but Selena hit it yeah thank you guys so and if you love us and you want to show us that it's real you can subscribe to us on iTunes at let your voice be heard radio check us out on our website lyvbh.com and if you just want to just stick around for another week we'll be back here next Sunday God willing on W. ATR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Podcast on Tuesday. Peace. Let's move it side to side, smack it in the face.